Welcome to Postcolonial Space. I'm Masood Raja. This episode that you will be listening to soon was adapted from my YouTube channel. So you might hear certain idiosyncrasies like me referring to it as a video or something else. So please do forgive those. But otherwise, I hope you do enjoy what's included in this episode. Thank you so much. Hello. Welcome to Postcolonial Space. I'm Masood Raja. And today I briefly want to talk about workplace microaggressions, especially as relevant to life in academia. So my hope is that by the end of this video, you will understand what a microaggression is, how does it impact people's lives, and why we all ought to avoid them at our work. So I became aware of microaggressions as a practice or as something that happens uh, on campuses as well as in offices when I had to take training before I became a part of a hiring committee. And part of that training was to read and understand certain microaggressive scenarios. And so that's when I became aware of, you know, what exactly a microaggression is. So since it's a microaggression, chances are it is not covered in the larger university policy. It is not so blatant as to be a harassment, but it is something that is micro that happens sometimes intentionally or unintentionally and is experienced mostly by those on a campus who are either in a minority situation, not part of a dominant group, or inhabit an identity different than what is considered the norm. Now these can be intentional and unintentional. My other source for learning this is a beautiful book and I'll post the link in the description below by Dr. Myron Anderson and Catherine S. Young. These two are scholars on this very topic and they just recently published a book which was published by Academic Impressions and it's called Fix Your Climate. And they give you different scenarios of what constitutes a microaggression. In many cases, it can be something that someone says or something that someone repeatedly uses to describe you or your work. Sometimes it can be withholding of recognition as well, as part of, full part of faculty member, and it can have drastic consequences. Now, Myron and Catherine gave a wonderful analogy of what microaggressions are and what they can do, and they ask you to imagine that you hit your toe when you get out of the bed. And then an hour or two later, you hit your toe again against some door. These are micro injuries. They shouldn't matter much. But then fourth time or third time, you're in a grocery store and someone gently steps on your toe and you suddenly shout as if something huge has happened. Now that person is not going to understand why you're making such a huge fuss over it, but you have been accruing pain of that stubbed toe throughout the day and you reached a moment when a slight touch brought all that pain forward, right? So that means that microaggressions have a certain degree of accrued pain and disillusionment, anger, right? And then at some times, without realizing it, 
you express what you're feeling. And here is the sad thing that happens when you do that sometimes. The very people who have brought you that to that point then can claim victimhood because you just shouted at them, right? That's the danger of microaggressions. So some examples in academia. Let's say I teach post-colonial studies. Now I have colleagues here in my previous institutions who looked at my field of study as not a viable field of study, right? Who looked at it disdainfully for their own professional reasons. Now, regardless of the fact that post-colonial studies is listed as a subfield of English studies in the job listings of Modern Language Association, where everyone goes to find out who's looking for people in what field, despite the fact that most departments have a position called post-colonial studies. Some, one form of microaggression would be someone asking you, oh, so what do you do as a post-colonialist? Cool. But even worse would be when every now and then some colleague constantly keeps reminding you that what you do is not necessarily good enough. It's not literary enough. It's too political, right? or indirectly telling your students that post-colonial studies is exhausted, it's not really good scholarship. All of these things are one or the other forms of microaggressions based in the belief system of another person who thinks it's not a study that is worthy of respect. It's not, so hence those who do it, who perform it, are also not as valuable as someone who does traditional work, so then, that becomes an accrued form of microaggressions, right? Another example which is not necessarily personal is the hierarchy, and this is what Myron uh, Anderson and Catherine Young also mention in their book, that the, 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 the university has a certain hierarchy. You know, it has administrators, it has faculty, it has staff, but within faculty then there are tenured professors, there are tenure track professors, there are lecturers, adjuncts, right, graduate teaching assistants. Anytime when one of the ones who is in a position of power implies that the ones who are not tenured or tenure track professors are somehow less significant, either through their actions either by saying it or through their policy decisions, that constitutes a microaggression. Because what a microaggression does is, it makes the recipient feel bad about themselves, feel bad about their value, and it makes them question whether or not they're a part of the organization or not. So over a period then, if you are in a department or at a university where these microaggressions are normalized against women, against minorities, right, then you will create a culture which is toxic because people will be unhappy, they'll be unsure of themselves, and they will be unsure of their value to the institution. The researchers that I just mentioned, they also inform us that this can be deeply systemic to a point that those who are perpetrating these aggressions don't even know about it, are not even aware about it because they already hold a dominant position and they expect that since they can take criticism of a certain kind, 
those who are not in dominant positions should be able to do so. In so many ways, it also becomes malicious where the other people know what would they have to do or what they will they have to say to bring you down, to silence you, and then it becomes even more destructive and more harmful. Okay. Now, I also mentioned that withholding of recognition can also be a form of microaggression. Okay, I haven't done any research on it, but I have studied on our need for recognition coming from, you know, theories of studies of consciousness, identity, and brain. So withholding of recognition can be very easily from anyone who is in position of power, not acknowledging your efforts, right? Uh, unintentionally or intentionally misnaming you when you have done something for the department or for the university or diminishing your accomplishments either by not acknowledging them or not dwelling on them too long. And that can have a dampening effect on you while performing your job. So how to avoid them? Now, Myron Anderson and Catherine Young, they give us a set of questions and they say signs that someone has suffered a microaggression. First of all, they feel hurt, angry, shocked, shamed, and resigned. They think about the experience for a long time after it happened. They are unsure if they are making too much of the experience. They are unsure if they should bring it up. They are pretty sure the person making the slight would not have said or done the same thing to someone perceived as having societal or professional power over them or their identity group. So these are some of the things if you want to know whether you've, you are feeling the impact of a microaggression. How not to commit it from the same source, they say, think before you make a reference, and I'm quoting, a joke or a tell a story about a social identity or cultural group that is not your own. Ask yourself, one, am I making fun of someone's race, ethnicity, cultural traditions, gender, sex, and or sexual orientation? If so, don't say it. Two, would I make the same comment about a different identity or cultural group of which I know a lot about their cultural norms? If not, don't say it. Three, would a person their living descendants or their parents possibly take offense at how I am describing them? If so, don't say it. Four, were my ancestors, not you personally, responsible for the death or oppression of people from their identity or cultural group? If so, then don't say it. So if you're part of that group, not you personally. Five, if none of the above is true, go ahead and share your reference joke or story. It probably is not going to be microaggression. So what we learn from these things is that in order to avoid doing microaggressions, you have to not center your own self and identity, but know who you're talking to. What is the context? how it can impact them, how it will be received before the words come out of your mouth, right? This is when we say something or do something. But if you are imperceptibly not acknowledging someone's contribution because of their racial identity, ethnic identity, sexuality, or because of what they do which you don't respect, 
then you are to ask yourself, okay, I just mentioned so and so in the newsletter. I think so and so. This person has done the same thing too. He or she is from a minority group. Why am I not including them? Right? So another way of avoiding is do not withhold recognition. Rather, acknowledge it, pass it on to them. So overall then, microaggressions are part of everyday work culture. They are mostly visited upon people who inhabit either a less powerful position or a minority position, a minority gendered position. They could be women facing workplace which is predominantly men. And microaggressions cause long-term damage to the self-esteem of the person, to their idea of self, and can be both psychologically and mentally harmful overall. A very big instance of microaggressions within any given department or any given job place ends up creating a toxic workplace where people are not necessarily committed to the workplace and its values because they feel isolated, they feel outside of it, or they feel harmed and hurt. That is why it is crucial for all of us even when we are not in positions of power, to know how our actions, our words, our simple glance, our opinion about someone's work, someone's expertise, can become a kind of microaggression. Now, I highly recommend the book. I post the link in the uh, description, and it's called Fix Your Climate, and it has empirical research and it also offers different strategies of training your own self, training your subordinates, and training the people in your departments, especially on an academic campus. And I think all administrators, at least, or people who think their words have an impact on others in a department ought to read the book. That's all. Please feel free to send me any of your questions. I'll be happy to amplify this and answer that. I hope this was useful. Thank you so much, and I will now see you next time. Until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, and peace and love.